Hello friends, my guest today is going to be Bobby Aldegary. Bobby is a former Olympian as a mogul skier for the U.S. and then has gone on to be a two-time Olympian as a coach for the Canadian national ski team. He's helped coach several Olympians, Olympic medalists, world championship medalists, national champions, and several others in helping them reach career heights not only on the hill but in life after their competitive career has ended. He continues to do so as the current program director for Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club. Bobby's passion, drive, energy, and commitment to excellence is contagious. I hope you enjoy Bobby's journey of failures and successes so far. Perfect. How are you, Bobby? How are you, Bobby? Oh, excellent, excellent, excellent. Thanks very much for uh, coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it, for sure, talking some shop with you. Yeah, I know. I've been uh, really looking forward to this one as well. Good. How's uh, everything in Steamboat? You guys staying safe out there with everything that's kind of going on at the moment? Yeah, I'm kind of the same, I think, as everybody else. I think, um, you know, you can watch too much news or I'm not a news watcher. So um, I end up getting my news from the majority of people that I talk to, but um, kind of passively. But, you know, <clears throat> I mean, you have to know the basics, right? Right. Sure, you have to know what's what's basically going on but too much news can be uh a little bit uh depressing and negative and and unnecessary a lot of it is redundant and um yeah so really i there's a lot of silver linings to it i've gotten to spend tons of time with my son enzo which has been you know it's been awesome i mean i get quite a bit of time with him anyway but it's been more and uh that's been great it's been so fun we've been out riding his bike we've been skiing and alpine skiing and nordic skiing and yeah, yeah, it's been awesome. So it's fine. He is probably the best dressed toddler I think I've ever. You really do it up, fashion, fashion wise. Uh, Enzo Valentino there is uh, looking always quite fly. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of like playing dress up with him, probably more than his mom does, actually. But <laughs> uh, so for those out there that don't know, I'll give you a quick little uh, rundown of your career. Uh, so you're on the ski team for over seven years. 1985 U.S. national champion. You uh, represented the U.S. in the first uh, Olympics that moguls was allowed. That was not an exhibition sport in 1992. Mm -hmm. And then you went on, um, coached, uh, you were the director, head coach for Steamboat's program for a bunch of years. And then what was it, around 2000 to, to around 2000 that you uh, took the head coaching job for uh, Canadian freestyles head mogul position, right? 2001, yep. Spring it's one. Okay. And then uh, you were there till about 2006 and then came back. Uh, you actually helped kind of uh, coach Canada's uh, freestyle program that kind of had like a select development talent team, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did that for a few years and then you're kind of back the uh, director for Steamboat Springs program yeah. right now, right? Full circle. Full circle all the way back. Yeah. So, um, now being, and, and the success you've had at, at Steamboat, right? You've produced uh, so many different athletes there as a coach. Um, what would you say uh, as you transition from athlete to, go, to coach um, or were some of those things success-wise that you were able to kind of bring along and that you learned through your years that really helped you? Well, I guess, uh, for, first of all, I think throughout my whole skiing career, I always thought I wanted to be a coach. I never started coaching because there was nothing else for me to do. I mean, I'm not young and, uh, you know, I, I still am really passionate about what I do, um, really on the day to day. And, um, and, uh, so yeah, so that, I think that's important to note. 
um, it was just always something I've always been really passionate about the sport as an athlete and, and as a coach. So I think the things that, but the thing to answer your question, the things that I brought in, I think as an athlete, you know, to the coaching world was, um, you know, do a lot and do it well and pay attention to the details. And it was a little different when I was skiing because, you know, it was less scientific then. And, uh, I always thought more was better. And so it was just more, 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 more. And when I was on the national team, I felt like I was sort of perpetually overtrained a little bit, um, just doing more and more and more, but that's a fine line, right? It's a slippery slope. So, uh, you know, I'd rather be probably a little over than a little under, just depending on, you know, absolutely uh, who you are and what your talent level was. I'd, I'd probably consider myself an, you know, as far as the skiing, I don't know, probably an average talent guy when I was on the, was on the national team, I was an above average jumper, but, um, you know, I, you know, I don't know. That's my, that's my perspective. But, um, so I always, you know, just wanted the athletes to really do it. And, 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 right. uh, you know, if, if your goal is to make, to be on the national ski team, then your goal really should be to be world champion and not just wear the uniform and be a, be a tourist. Right. That was important to me. And so, you know, that's something that was sort of a, a base from what, from which, you know, where I worked from. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, and that really kind of continues in Steamboat. Hey, I mean, you know, our program, you know, yeah. And that kind of continues today. And that happened when I was coaching the national team for Canada as well. So kind of from Steamboat to Canada to the national team through that, you know, two Olympic cycles or yeah, it was a full Olympic cycle. And then just one year prior to Salt Lake. And then, um, and then, you know, to the Canadian Sport Institute, which was part of their system, and, and they were very accepting of that sort of full-on type training mode, and then, you know, back here to Steamboat. So, so you talk about uh, that, that passion, and now where, I mean, let's go back. Where did that passion um, for skiing and, and kind of passion to compete or win that drive, where, where did that start from? I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, it just since I was a kid, you know, since I was a kid, I was just, I've always been <clears throat> really romantic about that process. I, you know, I, I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed it. I did. I've done, we, we don't have time, but the ridiculous amount of things I did <laughs> as an athlete or as even a little kid, or, you know, when I was at Killington mountain school, the things that we did to get to the, to that place. Cause I had a late start. I was listening to Troy Murphy's, uh, interview with him earlier today and uh you know he had a late start i was kind of a late starter too but i, I made that pretty quick i made that i accelerated pretty quick just because i was uh i was into it you know i was into it and uh you know volume and miles and volume and miles was was really really top priority to me now how did you how did you find your way into it because you're from you're from jersey how do you how do you make your way up to killington i mean it's not how far is the drive to uh killington from where you were so when I was a little kid, um, I, I loved to ski and my dad loved to ski and I would go to Stratton from New Jersey with my dad. I was young. I was, you know, in grade school. I had, my dad was, my dad was cheap. I could have had better skis, but I did have wood skis with screw in edges and I had lace up boots my first year, but then I got buckle boots. But so I was very primitive. It was kind of awesome. And then, uh, <clears throat> my, we moved to the West, well, my whole family moved to the West for a few years and then I moved back to the East Coast with my mom. And this is a very, you know, sort of interesting story, really. Uh, 
it's very serendipitous. So the, the dean of my high school had a house in Killington, and he was also the assistant coach of the Alpine race team in my town. And um, I, I tried out for the team. I made the team. I made varsity, which was not a big deal. And um, and we just connected. And right. So over all these years, subsequently, he was the best man at my wedding. So kind of like a father figure to me. Sure. Um, really, really great guy. And, and so he had a house in Killington. And then I started going to Killington Mountain School and traveling up and back with him because my mom wasn't really a big skier. Especially as right. she was older, she wasn't a big skier. But he was. And his family, his wife, and his two kids were, are. And um, so... Yeah. So, you know, that's how I got really started. And then I went up, his name is Paul Holmes. I was up and back from Killington. Then I went to Killington Mountain School and then continued on and made the national team. But um, that was, that was sort of it. So I was extremely, extremely fortunate and very lucky to have, to have just met Paul Holmes. Without him, I wouldn't be doing this interview right now. So you would have to say that he was probably pretty, was he influential in kind of creating that passion for skiing and some of where that drive to succeed came from? He, uh, he was, uh, I had the passion. Mm-hmm. He knew I had the passion. I don't think he would have invited me to come to Killington on those weekends and do all that unless he realized that I had a passion for it. So I don't think he really, um, he certainly helped me sustain that passion. There were some days I came home from the hill just as a regional skier, completely deflated. Even when I was on national team a little bit, but I came home deflated thinking I was the worst skier in the world. You know, I didn't get there, whatever. And uh, so he would always kind of, you know, talk me off the ledge a little bit. So would you say you were pretty uh, hard on yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too hard on myself, you know, looking back. Looking back, I mean, again, it was a much different, much different time. We didn't really have like a battery of, we did have a good coaching staff, very good. It was just more primitive at the time. But um, I was hard on myself uh, really, you know, to, to really to a fault, I think, you know, kind of throughout my career. That probably helped drive you a lot though, right? Yep. Some yep. Of that being sure. kind of hard on yourself helps you. Now, for those out there that uh, don't really know in the freestyle mobile skiing world, Killington is uh, certainly one of the meccas in the country and has created a lot of uh, Olympians. The first uh, Olympic gold medalist came out of there in 1992 for Donna Weinbrecht on the female side. She dominated the sport for years, and they've pumped out uh, a ton of athletes, including yourself. And so would you say that was a good time to kind of be coming out of there? Because there's a huge talent pool that comes out of Killington and producing mobile skiers. I mean, was was who else was there at the time? It was Maggie Connor. Mm-hmm. Was there uh, Chuck Martin, Steve Desovich. But uh, we represented four athletes uh, on the Olympic team that year. Myself, or Donna, Chuck, Maggie, and me. So, yeah, four athletes came out of Killington at that time. And it was, um, yeah, we just had a lot of momentum. And really, we were fortunate when I was at Killington Mountain School had a really good coaching staff that really knew their stuff. And, and um, for the day, I thought they were very good and very professional. Now, how did having that kind of talent around, how much did that help kind of uh, create the success for you? Because you're looking over your shoulder, you got Chuck Martin, or you got Desovich next to you, and, you know, all you guys are, are trying to win. So how does that help kind of create some of your success? Yeah, it was huge. It was huge. I think that's something that I – think about a lot and that we try to continue today in steamboat 
we want to create a winning culture and a winning atmosphere and um and uh atmosphere and a culture with standards that are are not up for negotiation those right. standards are are consistent and constant day to day to day week to week month to month year to year and that's sort of what you're known by and um so yeah i think really it was desovich and i and certainly chuck was a very good competitor but steve steve and i would really um you know, put our nose to the grindstone and train and train and train we were roommates at killington mountain school they said we did a lot of outlandish things you know throughout our young careers to to make it happen but you know our focus was to be what were some of those outlandish things? <laughs> some I'll tell you, some I won't. But one of them I thought was really good. We back then we had you know Walkmans with with tapes, you know, right? And them and so the Walkmans had you know two ports for your for earphones, and so we made these custom that would like go over and over like what our goals were. Like we are going to be world champion. We we're going to be Olympic champion and. And there was going to be nothing that was going to stop us. And we would lay in our bunk beds with our earphones on and go to sleep. Like literally every night with this tape, we made the tape ourselves. We would, we talked into the, into the microphone in the, into the tape player. And then, yeah, we just put it on play. And that was every single night. It was just repetitive. You will be the best, you know, this sort of thing. It was pretty funny, actually. Well, there, there is some uh, psychology behind that. Uh, definitely uh, that, that positive psychology, telling yourself you can as many times over and over again, is definitely not a bad thing. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I don't know. That stuff, you know, just sort of as a, as a culture or as uh, a, you know, if you want to try to win stuff, you don't know what's going to, what's going to work, right, Bobby? Like you don't know for sure what's going to work. So you want to cover, my thought has always been, you want to cover all your bases and some of that is going to be wasted time. Sure. Oh, some of it's going to be absolutely wasted. So people will look and go, well, that's a waste of your time. Well, you don't know for sure what's going to be a waste of time or not, but you know, why not? Why not just do all of this stuff and only 20% of it was a waste of time, but the other 80% was, you know, yeah, I uh, couldn't agree with you more. I think it's better to uh, look under every stone that you can to try to figure out what uh, kind of information or whatever else you can kind of gather to help you, uh, whether it's getting uh, forward in your athletic career or helping an athlete forward business-wise, uh, whatever it is, you might as well put in the extra effort because that, that uh, works out to most things in life. The more effort you put in, the more you get out of it, right? I, I couldn't agree more, no, for sure. I, I'm telling you, I should be doing the interview, and you should be the guy. <laughs> you switching um, maybe, roles. Maybe, yeah, well, maybe next time. <laughs> so coming back, you were also, I mean, you hit, you were top five in the world at one point, uh, and then you're also the first person in uh, history that, uh, to win a World Cup and then also go through and win a Pro Tour event. Yeah. And yeah. for those out there that don't know, the uh, fifth had a World Cup circuit, and then they also uh, started a pro tour event. Was it uh, the Chevys? Was it Bud? Who had the pro Bud, Bud, Bud and Coors? Yeah. Bud and Coors had the pro tour. And uh, so it was definitely a little bit of a different, uh, different time back then. The, the heyday of freestyle where it's kind of definitely grown a, a little bit smaller. There's been a little bit of uh, kind of shrinkage in that, in that model right now at the moment. We got to get uh, people skiing mobiles again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah, the Pro Tour was was great. 
it was really, really great uh, situation for sure for us that had just retired from the team after the 92 games. It worked out pretty well for us, for sure. Now, how many stops would they have when you would go through and they had that kind of pro, pro tour circuit? So they had the bud tour, which was about 12 stops, and then they had the course tour, which was four stops. So it was a lot, 16 stops. And uh, it went, yeah, from kind of just maybe just before Christmas or just after Christmas right through to the spring. And um, there were a lot of events, and they were all duels right from the beginning. So uh, it was a lot of skiing, but it was really fun. That's awesome. Now, would you say you were uh, a better competitor than towards your talent? And was that from all the, the hard work? Because you talked a little bit earlier saying you're kind of average talent-wise, but you had that work ethic and overtrain, yeah. overtrain. When you got in the gate, would that uh, translate? I mean, when you were, were you, would you say you were a pretty uh, good competitor when it came time to push out? I think I was a pretty good competitor. I think um, – Certainly, I think the harder you work, the luckier you get. And, and um, so I think I was a pretty good competitor. I think I was, um, you know, to be honest, you know, to be frank, I think I was a little bit immature. Um, and, um, could have used, you know, more guidance at that time, for sure. But um, I think that I managed, managed myself pretty well um, <clears throat> with that. I think I, I learned a lot. I listened to a lot of uh, tapes, Dennis Waitley and some old school guys that were really, really good, Tony Robbins. And so I was constantly pursuing, pursuing different things to, to up my competitiveness. And um, I think I was, a, I think I was a, a good, you know, good competitor. Would you say you were more of a love to win or hate to lose? Probably, probably hate to lose. Hate to lose. Yeah, probably. <clears throat> I think um, not consistently process oriented enough, frankly. And uh, maybe uh, I mean the the feeling of winning <clears throat> anything you know, in the box consistently is awesome. Yeah, of course, it's awesome. And um, and so that's a very addictive. It's very addictive. And when you're pursuing a top whatever top five in the world, top three in the world, world champion type goal that's, uh, and you're kind of nipping at that, that's, that's awesome. So um, I certainly love to win, um, but, but yeah, at times I think maybe put too much pressure on myself versus just staying focused on the process. And right. oh, that kind of always works. And actually if you pursue that, pursue the process over a number of years when you're standing in the gate, um, that tends to work itself out. Right. Now, how long after you kind of finished up skiing did it take for you to get into coaching? Uh, it was after my third year on the Pro Tour. Okay. Uh, boat offered me the head coaching position. Park Smalley was, at the time, the, uh, that kind of head coach slash director here. And um, he was, he's one of my best friends. I talk to him still all the time. And was a mentor to me throughout my whole career since I was in seventh grade, like, million years ago and um so he offered me the job and uh you know to move to i knew steamboat well i had friends here and it, so it was an easy transition and uh so it was right after my uh my third year on the pro tour and for those that don't know out there park smalley he was the head coach for the uh u.s ski team kind of one of the godfathers of kind of making it a little bit uh more modern right wouldn't you say yeah yeah he definitely was the transition between 
between sort of, you know, old school freestyle and more modern current style. Yep. Yep. He was a one man show, really hard worker, <clears throat> had a lot of people to manage, really good manager of people, good technically, but a really, really good manager of people. I mean, I'm still very close with Park. We had a little get together up at his house just a few weeks ago and, um, I, mean, I chat with him all the time, but you know, we had a bunch of my former teammates there and just thinking about how he managed athletes and all the different personalities. That was uh, something, you know, I could certainly learn more from, but he sure. was some start to appreciate it a little bit more now that you're kind of on the same, uh, same side. Yeah. Now he also did a little, he was a, uh, he used to do uh, for those out there that don't know, he did the CBS color commentary for a lot of those, uh, mogul events in the mid 90s i remember when i was eight years old he did the commentating for the olympics in 98 in yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah he was good park was a very good announcer super knowledgeable of the sport but yeah and then uh so steamboat has their freestyle complex is named park small freestyle complex right that's right and so learned a little bit from him and you kind of start, how long does it take you to kind of get into your groove as a coach? Because I mean, I know personally for me, it took a little bit of time, uh, especially when you're making that transition as an athlete and then you're going into coach, you're kind of, uh, you know, you're dealing with so many different personalities rather than just dealing with yourself. And that can be a little bit difficult sometimes because not everybody wants to work hard. Some people just kind of want to go through the motions and, it, it, that, that can clash a little sometimes, I feel like. No, for sure. And I certainly clashed with various athletes. But I'd like to think Bobby, and I suspect you feel the same way, but I'd like to think that if you're giving someone a couple things, if you're giving someone a lot, A, <clears throat> it means you believe in them. Um, and, and that's a wonderful thing as an athlete to know that a coach believes in you and B, um, you know, um, you know, that, that kind of means that, you know, that, that athlete as an expert, as a, you know, someone like me, that's been at that level, they believe in you. That means they sort of believe that you could also ski at that high level. So, you know, I still feel that way today. You know, if you don't want to bite on that, but you're telling me in your goal in goal setting that you want to ski at the highest levels. You don't want to bite at that. You know, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure whose problem that really is. I mean, I mean, if you're showing effort, um, then, then, you know, I'm all in. Right. No, it definitely can be a little bit of a, of a difficult uh, juggling act sometimes when you got to balance numbers and balance who wants to be there and who doesn't, but, Who's paying yeah. checks, right? That makes it a, a difficult process for sure. So what what was the, would you say, was the apex of your first stint at, uh, when you were at Steamboat? Was the apex of? Apex kind of coaching-wise. When you were coming through that, that first stint there, was it like your last year before you decided to go uh, to the Canadian team? Or what, what, what would you say you were kind of coaching apex was that first time around? Well, you know, we had, you know, we were fortunate. We had a lot of, we had a lot of good athletes um, on that, on that Steamboat team. We had a bunch of kids from all around the nation um, that came and skied for us. And we developed a fair amount of 
talent uh, before we kind of got online here, you and I and Avital were talking about uh, Emiko Torito. She was super good, um, made it onto the national team and had some good results. Um, Travis Mayer obviously was very good. Um, coached him to the national team, but then I ended up coaching against him because as soon as he made the national team for the U.S., I started coaching for Canada. So it was kind of interesting how I ended up coaching sort of against them a little bit, but he's um, still a good friend. I ride bikes with him all the time. We skied a bunch this winter together. So um, you have Lindley Horde. We had a bunch of great, great athletes during, you know, during that early time that we, we coached to the, to the national team. Right. Now, what is that uh, transition like? Now you get the, you get the call up, you go interview, and then it's Canadian national team, which can be, it's quite a different level than just the domestic uh, program level, you know, it's a uh, much, much higher stakes. They're uh, wanting to know how many medals you're going to be getting and, and things change quite quickly from just developing athletes to the best they can be to, all right, let's see world championships. Let's see gold medals. That's a, can be a little bit of a, of a daunting challenge. I love that. I love that challenge. And I, and I love that pressure. I, as a coach, I almost love that pressure more than I did as an athlete. And, uh, you know, Canadian, the Canadian or Freestyle Canada at that time was, you know, they were, yeah, they were, they wanted to see, um, they wanted to see some results. So um, it was really fun. And we had, when I first came on, we had a number of athletes that had been there for a while. And then, um, and then we got a big, you know, a new crop of athletes. And um, so, yeah, we had a fair amount of success. We, that was kind of the beginning of the rebuilding of Freestyle Canada at that time. And, um, so my first year I was assistant coach at the Salt Lake games in 2002. And then I became head coach between 2002 and 2006 in Torino, Italy. And, uh, I hired, uh, our assistant coach, uh, Rob Cober mm -hmm. from British Columbia and was the head coach. He just, uh, after the, um, uh, 14 games, he, he, uh, he stopped being the head. I mean, 2018, yeah. Is that right? Or tw after 20, what was that? What is that? Is that right? Uh, I want 20, 20. After 2018. Yes, 2018, yeah. Yeah, 2018. sorry. No, 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 you're good. Huh? You're good, 2018, yeah. Right? Yeah, 2018, <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, you're um, yeah, it's just, it seems like it's been longer than that, but it hasn't. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, we had set, we sort of set a standard and we had a standard amount of volume and a stand, you know, just a basic standard of what the athletes were, were asked to do. And um, that sort of continues today. And um, that's something we're really proud of. It's a process we were really, really proud of. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we uh, coached um, first, uh, first sweep ever in the men's uh, podium sweep ever in the in, Can in history of Canada in, uh, in skiing, whether it was Alpine or Moguls, that was, that was a really special, special moment. And Marc-Andre Moreau getting second at World Championships in Ruka, Finland, um, qualified 13th or 14th and went to second. It's impressive. Yeah. Very unusual. He was pretty upset after his qualification and really charged. Anyway, that was a special day. World Championships by another young lady, Stephanie St. Pierre, um, 2003 in um, Deer Valley. So 
we had a lot of good results, but, but beside the results, I think we had really set a process that, that kind of continues today that we're, that I'm really proud of and uh, won the nation's cup a number of times right at time. And, um, Oh yeah, that was a uh, fun. It's funny you say, you know, when you're coaching at the regional level, it's about athletes really being the best they can be. And then they want to see results at the you know, world cup level. But the reality is, you know, you can't ask for more talent. People are born with X talent and it's about developing that talent. So really if you're focused on the process and um, not, not so worried about, um, not so worried about the results so kind of right. to a competitor. And then you kind of get the most out of these, these athletes. Now you talk a little bit about kind of the process and the culture that you started to build. Uh, you had it at Steamboat, you kind of took it with you to Canada and that's kind of created uh, you've created quite a monster uh, out there. Even Peter Judd. I mean, you guys are, I guess you can throw Rob in there too, because it's you got Kingsbury, everybody going over there. So that's, you're, you're part of that problem you created with the Canadian beast. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, those guys have been those guys were successful for quite a while with Jean Luc, of course, and then uh, and then you know Alex Bilodeau, and then of course Mick, and but they've had a lot of guys. I think you know the guys that you know Jean Luc, Alex, and Mick. Those guys are they were amazing. They were they are are amazing. Um, but I think to develop some of the, I think a coach's best job, Bobby, is. Uh, to coach the athletes that don't have that unbelievable talent, that sort of Michael Jordan-esque talent. Right. And those are the guys, if you get those guys kind of top five in the world, top six in the world, guys are making the super final. Those, that as a coach is your best work. Right. And um, for sure, you know, going into that program, I knew what they expected. And started with Peter Judge for sure. And um, I kind of went on to uh, – with Rob and I, and then was kind of carried on by Rob. So yeah, we just expected excellence. And you know, Peter expected it out of me. I expected it out of Rob and then Rob expected it out of his coaches. And then now Mike Hamlin is the head coach of that program and um, is doing an excellent job, obviously. Right. So that kind of continues on. That culture is, is really, really strong. And, and um, we try to keep things as simple as possible and consistent. So simple and consistent. So would you say that's kind of like a, uh, a daily habit or something that really helped kind of with the success that came along, keep things simple for people? Yeah. Yeah. Let them know what's expected of them. Keep it simple and uh, let everyone know from the beginning what's expected of them. Right. So, uh, you know, along with uh, successes, there's always uh, a little bit of failures that come in. And uh, you do not go unscathed because you are like the rest of us and you're not perfect. <laughs> so after 2006, you kind of uh, get done coaching with the Canadian team. You don't quite have the uh, results that you were planning on at Torino, right? It's fourth. Fourth in Salt Lake, fourth in Torino. Yep. It makes, uh, when it goes down to those medal counts, it gets, uh, that gets tough. Yep. I know Peter felt the same thing, and uh, he had the same heat on him in uh, Nagano in 1998 when John Luke finished uh, fourth. Yeah, which was a, a, a rough, uh, rough go for him because they've had, they've, like you say, they have so much talent, so much success, and they don't like uh, not collecting medals. That's for sure. Yeah. So, how do you kind of deal with uh, some of that, some of that failure? 
how does that help kind of drive you? And what are some of the lessons you would say that you've learned that kind of helped you, helped you succeed and helped you grow? I think there's a fine line. You know, if you ask any coach the successful, I think there's a fine line between, um, you know, between pushing too much and not, not pushing enough and um, figuring out exactly what athletes need. No one knows exactly. You've just got to, you know, balance that line all the time. But um, yeah, just figuring out, you know, what, yeah, what, what did, what we didn't do, you know, we, we were never short on anything. Maybe we were a little long on some things. Maybe there was too much of this or too much of that. We did too much, but that, that took me a while. It took me a while to realize. I remember after the games in 2006, we gave the athletes a few days off to decompress. I'm like, Rob, we need to go and train. <laughs> I kind of got into it a little bit. We had, we had a disagreement. He didn't think they needed to go train. I didn't, but they needed to go train. So, so I, uh, went to the competition committee and asked them to reopen the course, like course. And we went up there and trained. We're the only team up there training because we had a big chunk of the world cup still to go. Right. So the training sessions weren't long, but I thought it was important. You know, we had to keep going. So, but uh, yeah, maybe I pushed too much at times and, um, but it's hard to know when your guy gets fourth and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's close. It's always close. And um but that one, you know, that one hurt for sure. That one hurt. And 2002 hurt a little bit too with Jen Heil. And she won in 2006. But, but, uh, but yeah, with, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it hurts. But, uh, yeah, you just have to uh, have perspective and decide, you know, it's, it was, it was, it's, it's, uh, those, those margins are narrow. Yeah, ex- extremely narrow. Especially when you're on the big stage there, that definitely can, uh, can, make things the that much worse (laughs) yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah but uh yeah you always want to know when you leave those events where you leave whatever your career or the world cup or whatever that you that you did everything you like you said earlier you know you've uncovered every rock you've looked under every rock and really tried to figure out what was the very best right so how did you find your way back to uh the coach in the canadian development team they're kind of uh, so yeah so after 2006 um i uh swore i was never going to coach again (laughs) i was done coaching and so um i got into real estate development here in steamboat into real estate and real estate development and uh it was i really enjoyed it a lot actually it was fun steamboat's a great town to to do real estate in and um that yeah and and kind of continued on that for a few years and then 2008 kind of happened um the economy really crashed and um i continued on for some time and then i was lured back in by peter judge to coach the um yeah like a small funded team of uh of kind of top athletes in the country, like you had said, like the a development team to the national team at the Canadian Sport Institute. And um, it was really, really enticing. The whole situation to have a funded group of athletes that you could handpick was amazing. And uh, what a great opportunity that was with, with that, uh, with the Canadian Sport Institute. I had a ton of education. I was around a lot of really smart people 
you know, I'm an Olympian or I'm an Olympian and I'm around people that have PhDs and were two-time Olympians. So I was, that was pretty special. Um, all the learning that went on, um, for me right. was awesome. And, uh, that, that really turns me on, you know, that, that really, you know, fuels my fire to, to be in an atmosphere where you're learning from smart people all the time and, um, just increasing your knowledge and you're able to do a better job coaching, um, and really understand more of the nuances. That was, that was a special, special position. And I, I, I love living in Whistler and, uh, yeah, we just, uh, we enjoyed everything about British Columbia and that culture. And, um, and I had a great group of athletes, good athletes that are doing well on World Cup uh, right now. Uh, Brendan Kelly, one of them, and Andy Naughty, who is a very good World Cup mobile skier as well. He was the Noram champion, and um, she's a very good, really fine young young lady that um, had great results and was super coachable. And, yeah. Now, so how many athletes were you allowed to kind of handpick and, and put on your team? Up to five. Five. Yeah, up to five. Sometimes we had four. Yeah, sometimes we had four, but between four and five. Which is kind of the, the perfect ratio as a coach. You know, you start to get six, seven, eight, and it's really hard to kind of be able to focus in and give those athletes the right kind of attention that they need, right? I think so, yeah. I think so. I mean, it's it's – yeah, you just don't ever want to dilute it. If you – you know, if you're national team bound or you want to ski at the Olympic Games – or be on the national team, then you should want to be the champion. You should want to be the best. And so, you know, to really do that, um, it's a, it's all about the attention to detail. And, you know, I've always thought that it's, you know, the attention, um, the devil's in the details. And um, we just, again, just didn't leave, you know, uh, any, uh, anything uncovered. You know, we, we, we worked hard to make sure those athletes got everything they needed. And, uh, we're really fortunate to have an amazing support staff really work hard with those athletes. And it was our team. It was never my team, but it right. was our team. And it was a really collective. It felt very collective and there wasn't a lot of ego with anybody. And um, it was a really, really fun group of people to work with our sports psych and our physio and our S and C guy and all, all these different people that were really invested in it. It was special. Now, having that, that kind of everyone's all in, everyone that creating that culture, I mean, you think that really helps and, and breeds success in, in the athletes? Because that can be kind of difficult when you're dealing with the individual sport to get everyone on board as even though they're individuals kind of into that team buy-in, everyone helping everyone to kind of succeed. I think it was small enough where they all felt like they could make the national team within a short period of time, within that short window, and then – they just still kind of battle it out. But um, I've, I've never thought – I think that culture is really important. Like you look at the U.S. women's cross-country team and they do an amazing job of that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do more of that currently actually. But I, uh, I never thought about that that much. But always encourage the athletes to support each other and to do more and to do more but support each other. I mean, if you're going to get beat, it's better to get beat by your, you know, one of your teammates that you know is training really hard, you know? Sure. He's kind of swapping positions on the podium every week with one of your teammates versus, you know, versus somebody else from another team. So, um, but I never did a very, I don't think I did a very good job or ever thought much about creating sort of a 
team culture, but I think we did just because they knew that I was in their corner and our strength and conditioning guy was in our corner and our sports psych was in our corner and the physio that we worked, the physios that we worked with were in their corner. So it felt like they felt a, a lot of support. So how do you make your way back to, to Steamboat for round number two? Yeah. So uh, the funding ran out of that program. Okay. And um, yeah, it was like almost too good to be true. It was just amazing. And then, um, yeah. And kind of not kind of, but absolutely serendipitously the director who had been the director here for a long time in steamboat uh, was leaving. Right. And the club had called me earlier that year before I was even planning on leaving the Canadian sport Institute. And, um, and they had asked me some questions about what I thought about some programming stuff at the winter sports club here in steamboat. And then we got in contact. Um, they got in contact with me sort of immediately Okay. Um, when that, when the director left and then we came back to steamboat and, um, you know, thought, well, we still had our house here and everything. So it was a pretty easy transition. We were you know, really, really fortunate. Might not be a bad fit for you. Oh yeah, we were. Yeah. Jess and I were very fortunate. Now, the success you've had kind of since you've been back has been uh, un unbelievable, to say the least. I mean, you guys were club of the year in 2017. You had a uh, domestic uh, coach of the year in Cape Laney, who's gone on to bigger and better things with uh, Team Australia. She's coaching the World Cup team there, their kind of development team. And now you got Law, you got a great staff there, and you've really built uh, quite, quite the program now, even from where it was before. You've put multiple athletes on the ski team and – Noram champions, and it's been quite impressive to watch from just a, another program uh, around the country. You guys have set, yeah, thank uh, set you. that bar you've talked about. Thank you. Yeah, I think, we, you know, yeah, we, we've done a good job. Um, we're always, you know, you're only as good as your last results. And, um, um, but we, yeah, you know, we've done, we've done a good job. I've got, I've got, I think I've got support from the winter sports club. I think, again, our process is really good. It's not everyone's cup of tea. We're not a big team. Uh, we're not a big team in any of the age groups, U13, U15, U17, 19, or high performance. We tend to be pretty small because we largely draw just from steamboat. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a small town. It's not like, you know, drawing from the tri-state area, um, you know, if you're Killington or Stratton or whatever, but um, we're, we're fortunate. And again, our process is really good. Kate, Kate was awesome. Uh, I hired Kate and to me, it seemed like a bit of a slam dunk. It was a, she was an obvious choice because she's uh, really ambitious and really driven and really smart and has a lot of intent and intensity. And uh, so she was a, she was an easy one to, to hire and she took that process. And, and that's, I think where we really agreed. We just saw eye to eye in the day to day, right. To week, month to month and year to year. Um, and um, Lars filled in that position and Lars is a little bit of a different personality than Kate and I, um, which is good. Uh, sure. Uh, he does a really good job. I think he's, he's got uh, one of Lars's best traces. He has very little ego, and uh, he's very learned. He, he wants to learn, and he's learned a lot as a coach, both technically how to work with the athletes and structure and organization. And I think we've really professionalized our program. That, that's kind of been a goal mm -hmm. 
mind as soon as we got back to steam, as soon as I got back to steamboat is to really make the program professional and to really make sure we've got realistic volumes of what other, what, what it really takes on a, on a world-class level, you know, to do a thousand water ramp jumps, you know, Spencer Belsky did two summers ago, did 1300 water ramp jumps in a summer mm. at all time. But we, you know, we sort of asked for a minimum from our high performance post-grad athletes of a thousand water ramp jumps in the summer. And we document all of that, how many jumps, what jumps of those thousand, how many are straight jumps, how many are back tuck, how many are back layout, how many are back pull, back double pull, or right. 10. So we've got that all documented so we can look back from year to year and, and base, base volumes off of the, the last year. And for those out there that don't, don't really know, I would say for, most of the clubs in the U.S. when it pertains to mobile skiing, logging, and keeping track of numbers and jumping and gym uh, output and stuff like that is not a very, or at least has not been a very high priority over the last 10 years or so. I'd say it's probably fairly, fairly new, except for some of the top level programs like what, what Steamboat's done and kind of innovated for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's important to us, you know, we think we know, you know, we think we know from the year before, well, you did a lot of jumps or you did, you, know, you did a lot of back tucks that equal really good back full or whatever. But in fact, you don't really know and numbers don't lie. So why not log all those things? And you can look, you can look back and know exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, what it worked and you asked earlier, you know, what, you know, looking back, what worked, what didn't work and how are you going to learn? Well, if you don't have things really well documented, then you don't really. And so that was really important. It's always been really important for us to be able to log all of those things. Um, you know, competition results, looking at, you know, competition results from the year before, looking at max scores, turn scores, looking at max jump scores, et cetera, et cetera. And trying to, gauge what you need to work on for the for the next year now so you talk about being able to log all those things and everything else how what would you say is some advice you give some people that kind of help you to prioritize your day-to-day -day and kind of keep everything going but you can't, because you can't do everything all at once you there's only so much time in a day so what kind of helps you prioritize some of those vital things you really need to get done? Like what's, what's one of those habits that would probably help, help people out there to succeed? But I think uh, I was looking when I was listening to the other, your other podcast with Joe. Um, I think he says it, but um, I think you always have to be, you've always got to work on your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. But I think you also have to have, if you look at athletes that are successful, they work on their weaknesses, but they also have enough self-esteem to work on their weaknesses. So I think, uh, you know, to be able to, you know, address, address athletes, you know, build them up, sure. them up mentally, build them up emotionally. You can build them up physically. I think that's, that's super important, but, um, but you've got to really be able to work on your weaknesses. So we, we sort of assess each athlete and know whether they need more S, you know, strength and conditioning time, S and C time, they need more water ramp time. And if they're, and if they are, you know, working on jumping, what exactly do they need to be working on on jumping? Are they good at twisting, but don't have good takeoff, don't have a good, good alignment in the transition. I mean, you've got to really, really break it down. Mm -hmm. Look at, you know, entrance position, you know, alignment in, you know, different parts of the transition. You know, I'm just talking about jumping. You can look at skiing too. 
You know, are the athletes' boots? Are the athletes' boots right? I mean, you could coach an athlete for years, but if they don't, if they don't have good ankle flexion or the boots aren't right, mainly ankle flexion um, to start with, or the boots are too stiff, they're really too soft, then then you're never going to get that athlete to be better. So you've again, you really have to pay attention to the details. I think, and um, yeah, it's like all in the minutia. It's all in the minutia. So you know, we we assess each athlete. You know physically at the beginning of a, of a prep prep season. And then we've got goal sheets and this is what they really need to work on. And, you know, when you're spending time with those athletes, and again, we've got a pretty small group of athletes, the buy-in is, it's full on. And it's uh, so they're, they're very willing to, to buy into the program, but also they've come to the program because of that. Yeah. Our program's not everybody's cup of tea. Sure. Yeah. And I think, I think it can be difficult sometimes when you're trying to bring in, some of those athletes and get it really on the emotional level, right? I think physical, physical level can be a little bit easier. Like, all right, this is what the workout plan is. Uh, it's very specific. You can see it very well, but I think trying to be able to, to break through with a certain athlete on the emotional level and kind of that psychological, I feel like a lot of the coaching really breaks down to that, to that psychological, getting them to believe, convincing them. And, and it gets difficult because every athlete's so different, right? I mean, you deal with so many different personalities and you think one way and they think some way completely different. So you have to pull a different arrow out of your quiver to deal with this guy, which is completely different than another athlete, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. I think if you've got an athlete that's open and, you know, willing to buy into the, that whole process, but you're right. You're right. I think the athletes got to feel comfortable with their coaches and um, they've got to, they've got to feel built up. And I, I would say, and I, I can speak for Lars on this too. I think it, athletes are always a work in process and a work in progress. And um, you just have to see, I think the biggest thing is you want to see consistent and relatively significant effort out of them. Mm-hmm uh, day to day. And, uh, and then they're you know, relatively easy to work with. Right. So now where it comes into, you know, you're talking about Lars, a little bit different of a personality compared to you or a Cade. And do you think that helps from an athlete perspective? Because you got your angle covered, right? You have your mm-hmm. personality and then you get yep. someone that's maybe a little bit more laid back, a little bit less ego. And that might, you know, uh, would say your personality probably fits a little bit more East coast where Lars probably fits the the steamboat vibe a little bit uh easier right for sure i think i think that's that's where i I find it very interesting as a as an older guy who's been through been through a lot um in his career and and, you know ski at the olympics and coach at two olympics etc you you know i i feel like i one of the things that really wakes me up gets me motivated in the morning is that you know i've got plenty to learn um and so you know, when Lars and I are coaching together, we're a little bit yin and yang, but uh, there's times where, you know, I think he says some pretty profound things or, or uh, is really thoughtful about how to deal with certain athletes. And, and, you know, we really learn from each other, but I'm still learning. I'm learning from him. I'm learning from our athletic director. I'm learning from, the, you know, a, a number of different sources uh, that I surround myself with, but uh, that's, that's really exciting. And um I love that. I love that part of my job. I love being around youth and I love continuing to learn as a, as a coach and a director. 
um, how to be better at what I do. So for uh, a lot of those uh, coaches out there, whether it's skiing or it's any other sport, life in general, what would you kind of, what guidance or what, what are a few things, a few words of wisdom you kind of give to them that would kind of help them create a little bit more success in the programs that they're either working for or they're trying to build? Well, um, yeah, just do a lot, do a lot and be, you know, be, be dedicated to your craft. Um, be thoughtful, be thoughtful about, about the process and understand more about what real world-class athletes do. Look at gymnastics. G gymnastics is a great example. Mm -hmm. talk, talk a little bit about that. Well, it's just, you know, you can't be a part-time world-class gymnast. <laughs> you can't train, you know, six months or seven months or eight months a year and be a world-class gymnast. You simply can't. You can't be, uh, you can't train six or seven or eight months and be a really good cross-country skier. It's impossible. So, you, you know, you, we have this little kind of world of mogul skiing, this little paradigm, but you've got to really look outside of, of our sport understand what it takes right at a proper world-class level so that would be the number one thing is don't don't live in this small little small little world or the small little town of freestyle mogul skiing but really look outside and see what the other processes are of other sports that that are like crazy high level like yeah nordic combined or nordic you know cross-country skiing or yeah, or or gymnastics, or yeah, there's a lot of sports out there. Um, right, it would be that way for sure. So I think that's that's huge, and and surround yourself with people that are smart and and fill in your weaknesses. And sure, have people that you can go to and ask questions. Right, all the time, and um, people that you trust, and be a good judge of character. Do you feel like that's uh, a weakness, would you say, in, in our sport? I feel like sometimes when I've looked around and I think it's, I, personally, I think it's been one of those issues um, that's kind of hurt, hurt some of our growth with the fact that uh, some of these pillar, bigger programs um, maybe don't, don't surround themselves with that same kind of, of talent. Because I know in our little paradigm, our little sport here, that there definitely are a, a few egos to go around. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think, I certainly think so. I, I hear you. I, I think, um, but I think a lot of sports have, a lot of sports have egos. Oh, absolutely. We're not the only one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. Um, I think, uh, yeah, for sure, like the more open you are um, as a, yeah, you know, as a leader, you know, and I don't know if I'm going to answer your question here, but I'll, I'll tell you that I that I believe or that I'm proud of um you know I I think I've done a pretty good job as a director but I think maybe the best thing that I've done is I've hired quite well and um we've we've had a number of good coaches come through this program and so if you hire really well then you don't need to micromanage these people you know you've well can I can I stop you there real um, quick so so what is it about the hiring because that uh, obviously equates to a lot of success what is that that you see what is your eye for talent because clearly you've produced a lot of not only successful athletes but very successful coaches 
So what is that I? What is it that you see when you go and meet with them and you're going through that hiring process? What is it that, that you kind of have an eye for there? Uh, no ego and open-minded and, and coachable. You know, they're willing to, they're willing to, uh, to learn, to learn from you. And um, they're ambitious. Right. I think uh, th those things, I think that's, that's huge. And, I, and we've been lucky. We've been, we've been very lucky with our hires too. There's no doubt about it. No doubt that we've been lucky because the pickings are pretty slim in our sport. Um, but we've been, um, we've been lucky. We've been just straight up lucky as well. Mm -hmm. So, well, uh, lucky also comes into that hard work. I'm sure you did a lot of research about those, those candidates. So it's not, not all sometimes, sometimes, yeah, sometimes they've, some of them have, semi not completely fallen in our laps but semi fallen in our laps and then i've kind of gone out and pursued them mm -hmm. sure but um i think yeah you want someone and it's not always it's not always um a former world cup skier that uh that is a great coach you know sometimes they yeah sometimes you've got someone who didn't make the national team who's like well i didn't make the national team because of this and this and this and i want to sort of fix that going into my coaching career or mm -hmm the weaknesses were and my coaches and maybe that's why I didn't make the national team. And so, you know, I want to, I want to fix that um, as a coach and, and, and help these, you know, this next group that I'm coaching. So like Lars, Lars never skied in the national team and Kate never really skied in the mission skied, you know, skied some Norams, et cetera, but they weren't, you know, prolific you know, Noram, uh, world cup skiers, but um, you know, they turned out to be, you know, super good coaches. So. Right. No, I think that uh, definitely uh, pertains to our sport because uh, it is it is a small little world. But uh, what 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 do you think uh, could help kind of bring bring back some of those heydays we were talking about with the the pro tour and kind of helping grow our sport a little bit more, kind of from where it's uh, where it's been. Wow, well, uh, there's a lot of talk about having duels in the games, you know, in 2020 in. Uh, uh, 2026, I guess. Um, so that'd be, that'd be really good. I think it's, I think it's tough. I, I've thought about this. Our sport is tough to do. It's just harder. It's the base of our sport to just do it on a very simple level is more difficult and more abusive than it is to go Alpine. Sure. So like if you're a mom from Texas, you can go down an Alpine racing course mom from texas you can't really make it down the mogul field it's really not any fun so i think that our sports may be always going to be a little niche because or more than alpine because it's so difficult to do and then you've got the acrobatic component right whole other skill set that is difficult to learn certainly difficult to learn later in life and um it's scary and it's dangerous you know so get our sport you know back where we have a pro tour in that i'm not so sure um i think um you know i've spoken to mosley quite a bit and trace worthington some about um getting the, the uh, getting dual moguls at the x games mm -hmm. i think we need to continue to pursue that i think that certainly would would help us it's it's a less arduous process than getting getting it into an olympic games or something and they can try it out for a year or two and then get it if they don't you know, if they don't like it, the X Games doesn't have to, you know, keep it, you know, they, they have complete control of how, how and what they want to do. I think that would be really interesting. That certainly wouldn't hurt. 
give our sport a little more visibility and then having duels at the Olympics, uh, having singles and duels would be awesome as well. Right. Yeah, no, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting problem to try to figure out what, uh, what we can do to kind of bring it, bring it back into the eyes of uh, some more viewers because it's uh, always one of the top uh, Olympic selling tickets, uh, ticket sales. It's usually number one or number two, the first ticket's gone is, mogul so it's kind of uh interesting that it it can and i feel like the numbers are pretty good in other nations as well like it's extremely big in japan uh france uh finland canada obviously they're they're uh, australia now especially with dale bag and desovich down there they've created quite quite the uh monster down there which is great yeah yeah, yeah for sure for sure i mean the sport is exciting there's no doubt about it and uh, it's, it's super viewer friendly and uh, it's relatable whether you've had success skiing down the moguls or not. When you see a really good mogul skier, it's, it's pretty mind blowing and uh, it's, you know, action packed. It's got a little bit of that sort of Alpine element with the skiing. And then it's got sort of the new school free ski type thing with the jumps. And so, and the personalities are tend to be quite good in the sport. So has a lot of has a lot of great elements. There's no doubt about it, and I think we'll see. I think we'll see a resurgence just through, um, you know, just through being in ski sport and being part of the International Ski Federation over time. We'll see. Yeah. See it uh, grow, continue to grow here, or make a resurgence. I hope so. I think I think there's definitely an ability, uh, especially with. I think um, people are definitely looking for content. Right. I know television networks and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think that there can be a better way to kind of package it, make it a little bit more relatable, make it a little bit more exciting, kind of bring people in as, as, a, as viewing it on television. You know, I remember years in the past, um, this was probably around 2005, 2006, and we were watching one of the, one of the events and uh, members that were in the event were essentially like, if I wasn't in this event, I wouldn't be watching it on TV. Right. Makes it, that makes it difficult to kind of grow it and, and things of that nature. You know I mean? That makes it, you got, you got to be able to, to uh, brand it to young adults, old adults, make it something where everyone can, can kind of see it. Cause it is such an exciting sport. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> the runs are pretty short, so you don't have to have a really long attention span to <laughs> exactly enjoy it, you know, for sure. Yeah, you can see the mistakes and and uh yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's definitely super spec- spectator friendly. And uh you look at that Deer Valley World Cup and how great that is every year and really um and that thing has obviously has a lot of momentum from the two thousand two games, you know, through through today. But um there's no reason why you know that couldn't happen. Sure. No, uh, you know, at every stop, really. Yeah. For those, for those out there that are listening, you should uh, YouTube the Deer Valley World Cup. That's essentially would be, I would call it our, our Super Bowl, the same as the Han and Khan Ramen or the downhill in uh, Kitzbühel. Uh, we definitely draw uh, quite a few fans there for that. So for those out there uh, listening or watching on YouTube, definitely go check out some uh, Deer Valley World Cup. And you could also you got some good uh, you got some good mogul lessons on there from uh, Bobby Aldegary, who's a, a Deb Armstrong. Uh, yeah, a few videos of you on there. I checked them out; they're pretty good. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, yeah. we did two, two this winter, and then we did one. I don't know, last winter before, and then one. 
It's been fun. Deb's super fun to work with. We get, we kind of get a lot of views together for whatever reason. I just think we're good. We're kind of a good, uh, and uh, we, we really um, respect each other a lot for, for our passion for coaching yes. and skiing and the tech, technical side. Yeah, we yeah we really enjoy each other. It's been fun to work with her. Yeah. So for those out there trying to get a little bit, trying to work on their on their bump skills, there they can watch uh, Bobby break everything down for you, make make it a little bit more uh, simple for you to kind of simplify it. Yeah. And I'm old, so if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> now, so you've had such a great career as an athlete and then you've had um i would the same if not even better as a coach produced such a high volume olympic medalist and all these things um how much would you say like perseverance has has to um has a play in that right because not every day is great obviously the days when you're on top of the podium and the days where you're doing well are great but perseverance you think that's a big part of what's what's driven you and helped you succeed so far for sure. I, yes. Yes. Perseverance and, and that for sure. But I think if the question lies a little deeper than that, what gives you that? Yeah. And uh, I think it's more about, it's more about the passion drives, you know, that drives you to persevere every day. So I really think that it's about the passion and the, and the, and the enjoyment, finding some enjoyment, even in those difficult days. Right. And finding like, Hey, look, we got through that one. And, you know, even though it was difficult, this was good or this was good. You know, these few things were still good Mm -hmm. day. And, um, and so I think that's, I think what's part, uh, it's passion and positivity. I think you've got to be sort of positive on the day to day. Um, And certainly athletes see that or your staff sees that. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so that, but so, but persevering for sure, for sure through those, through those elements is, is huge because yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of difficult days as an athlete. You know, I had, I was on the national team. I had, I blew out my ACL two years in a row and the year just before the Olympics. And the, there are a lot of people like you should quit or, you know, I can't believe you're going to come back less than a year. You had two ACLs. And for me, my perspective was, it was like this, like I never once thought about quitting, like never once quitting. It was just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, and, but that's just because I was passionate about it. And I always felt like I was in some sort of like inspirational video all the time. And I was just like super into it all the time. And we'd be skiing back East and it'd be pouring rain or it'd be super, super cold. And none of that really ever bothered me that much. Right. Because I was, I was into it. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting, especially when you talk about uh, some of those injuries. I mean, back-to-back ACLs, that's, that's a lot to, to come back from in and of itself. I mean, I remember when I tore my ACL and was going through that rehab and going through that, um, that surgery and kind of coming back there, I remember having a few conversations with my dad, you know, sitting down, like having a beer and being like, well, what do you think? And like, yeah getting ready to come back for next year. What do you mean? There's not much to think about. Like right. uh, we have this thing and then we'll be back for the next season. There's not much, much of a discussion. Which, um, so I can definitely appreciate uh, some of that passion. And, and you've talked about that a few times. Like, so it, where, where, where does, where does the passion for, for no idea? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like, oh, is that dad? Where's the, where's the passion? Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe, maybe a little more. My, I mean, I'm a combination of my mom and dad. Sure. Real combination of them. So, but um, I just like, I just like physical things. Like I, you know, I could throw, be on the beach and throw the frisbee and try to figure it out. Try to figure it out. Like I'm throwing the football with my athletes still today outside of the gym before training or after training. You know, and I can't get enough of it. Like I literally can't get enough of it. So I, I just love trying to figure out physical things and make them really, really good. Mm. That's like with my, with Enzo, with my son, I feel that way, you know, we're just out riding, he's riding a strider bike. I'm riding it just, you know, I kind of feel he's a little bit that way too. We'll just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And, um, just really, and, you know, just really enjoy that. And, uh, um, I don't know. I don't know where that passion comes from to answer your question, Bobby. I just, it's just somewhere, somewhere in me and is, you know, been in. But it's also that positivity, right? It's not only the passion, but it's that, that positive kind of mind frame. And every day is waking up, everything's going to be okay. I mean, you're going through two ACL surgeries. I mean, those are really dark times. You don't have many friends, even when you have a lot of friends, because they don't really, for the most part, other than mom, dad, everyone's off skiing, everyone's off doing their thing. And you're stuck in your little yeah. rehab dungeon, which is a pretty dark <laughs> place. You're going through a lot of pain to get that knee to flex a little bit more. I mean, that's a that's a difficult process to go through. I, I agree. I agree. I was always quite positive during those periods, but also I think uh, a big part of it. Talking about this in a long time, but a big part of it too was just perspective on on my life. Like, okay, sir, I blew out my ACL. I blew out my knee and for my ACL, but there's people out there just scrapping by to eat a meal tonight, you know? Yeah, it's very I've been very fortunate to, to have parents that could afford to send me to Killington Mountain School or, you know, had the wherewithal and the, and the um, emotional and mental, you know, emotional support to, to see me through, you know, Ski Academy or the U.S. Ski Team whatever in there and all the people that it helped me and really they talk about it takes a village, but all these people, you know, you know, in Killington that were there to help me, my ski tuner, my boot guy and all these things. And and really, and then, you know, the thought, well, the feeling of, or the thought of, well, um, I've got the mental capacity to do this. I've got the physical capacity to do this, that the financial capacity to do this, you know, and all the, all the things that I felt fortunate for, you know, to have a, to blow out your ACL seems like really pretty small, small, uh, small time. And you're just going to get through it. You're going to keep it going because as you can, because it's possible, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I think that that definitely makes, makes a lot of sense. There's definitely a lot of people, uh, a lot, a lot worse off and you're just rehabbing for going for another, uh, Olympic run or on the pro tour or anything else like that. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That, I think that was always a really, really big perspective is that I was fortunate in my life overall. And so, so I had to make constantly make the most of it. And there going to be a bump skier? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. He loves, he loves skiing. I love to ski with him. We, we love to ski with him. Jess and I love to ski with him. And so, and, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, yeah, Jess was, uh, NCAA, uh, Nordic skier and uh, Jess's mom was on the national ski team for Alpine. Jess's uncle uh, was a downhill skier in the 68 games, the 68 Olympics in Grenoble, France. So um, certainly a family of skiers, but um, pedigree there. 
Sorry. There's a pedigree there. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but, um, but there's, you know, I don't know. We'll see whatever, whatever he wants to do. I think, um, um, you know, we'll, we'll just continue to provide for him. You know, he enjoys it right now and, uh, we'll continue to provide for him and, uh, see if he's going to be an Alpine skier or a mogul skier or who knows. Who knows? So what's the, uh, what are the next steps kind of going forward after hopefully we end up getting out of, uh, being able to leave quarantine here and, and get out of our homes. What, what'll be the next steps for, for Steamboat's program? So we, we're, we're set, we're ready to go. And when, you know, whatever is lifted, you know, whatever ban is lifted, we're ready to go as far as water ramping, strength and conditioning, uh, summer camp programming uh, on snow, Australia, or maybe not. Sounds like possibly not Mount hood, maybe July, August, maybe a couple, a uh, couple, camps there uh, possibly Whistler but we've got we've got plans set in place and it's just a matter of where we're going to fit those in time wise and um but the you know the water ramps are good to go and uh, they've got the plastic on them right now and so yeah we just have to uh we just have to wait but um we'll make the most out of we'll make the most out of everything as soon as we're able sure and is the is the plan to kind of uh keep do you enjoy having your program uh, kind of the size that it is? Is that that fit? Does that make it a little bit easier to kind of give those athletes the right the right attention? Yeah, bigger's not better. Yeah, yeah, bigger's not better. That's for sure. Um, and we don't want it so small that our coaches are starving. Sure. We want to make sure that they're able to make a good living and that they're they're comfortable making a good living. And and so um, you know we're we're always looking at different athletes that want to sort of, you know, come to our program from maybe the high performance side from around the nation. Sure. Um, but again, they've got to sort of understand what our standards are and what our paradigm is and want to do a thousand water ramp jumps in the summer and be part of, but it's fun. It's fun. It's still, we're still, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're uh, working in the coal mine. <laughs> maybe at times they, they would say it feels like that, but um <laughs> But uh, yeah, so, so, but uh, yeah, bigger's not better. So I think we're largely satisfied with the size of our programming. Well, if they, uh, just putting for any kids out there that are listening into this, and uh, you know, should uh, where can where can they reach uh, reach you to talk a little bit more about Steamboat Steamboat's program if they're either California or Vermont or Colorado and they want to make the move to Steamboat because uh, I I almost made the move a couple times. I just I know. <laughs> we flirted a lot, Bobby. A lot. I, know. I flirted a lot. It was I coached you that one acrobatic camp. It was really fun. You learned a lot, and uh, that was it was really fun. Um, but yeah, you know, um, we can always always reach me through the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club website. My email's on there, so yeah, you can always reach me there. And um, yeah, you know, we're we're never really actively recruiting, but we just think that our process uh, will we'll do the talking and if it seems like the right fit for that, that athlete and uh, that's your cup of tea, then well, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to chat with these different, different athletes. But um, yeah, like you said, I think that our track record's quite good. I mean, you know, starting back with Travis or, you know, Jalen Koff and uh, goes on and on with Avital and um, uh, you know, now Landon Wendler and uh, we've got, uh, we've got, uh, you know, Kenzie Radway and, what am I missing? Olivia, of course, Olivia said, uh, a lot. it's hard to keep track. Yeah. yeah, no, we're, we're, we've been fortunate, but, um, 
We've been very fortunate for sure. We've had a lot of athletes come our way, but they've also, you know, you can, you can lead the horse to water, but the athletes have to do the work ultimately. And uh, you know, those athletes, like, you know, you look at OG in particular, you know, she continues to pursue it like crazy. And uh, yeah, you know, all the, all these athletes, you know, they're very passionate and um, they really bit on our, on our style. So um, we've been, we've been fortunate. And uh, so we just hope to keep that going. We hope to, uh, you know, we hope to um, continue to grow athletes through our program. And then if some athletes from the outside want to come, we're always willing to chat with them as well. And through that process as well, that you talk about kind of that daily chopping wood, going through the grind. I, I don't know that there's a program that does it better than you guys. So thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Bobby. That means, means a lot coming from you. And uh, you're certainly, certainly one of those guys. I appreciate it. Well, Bobby, thanks a lot for uh, taking the time. Talk to us about your uh, story of success uh, so far. And I'm sure Steamboat will continue to succeed as, as long as you're there and around and uh, everything else. Thanks, and the congratulations to you on getting engaged. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting, and I uh, look forward to your uh, engagement party. I, I hope that's what we have to see, I guess, huh? We will have to see. I'm still like, – we haven't announced anything yet because it's like there, we have no idea, so we'll, keep it, uh, we'll keep, it, keep it up in the air until we have to make a decision, I guess. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, congratulations to you as well. All right. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it. Okay. Right. Bye. Thanks, everybody. See you. Hope you enjoyed this episode, folks. Thanks a lot. Please like, share, and subscribe. This is your host, Bobby Carroll, signing off.